is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chris Meyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chris Meyer. The Commonwealth of Virginia became the epicenter of politics in America yesterday. And today, the fallout, well, people are evaluating, will it spell hope or horror for tomorrow? Is it hope or horror on the horizon, given the effects of yesterday's election, both in the Commonwealth of Virginia and in various governorships and uh, other elections around the country? In fact, the entire world is actually looking at the Commonwealth of Virginia because... As it has been said many times, Virginia has become, in one sense, almost the most powerful or most important state in the Union, even though it's nowhere near the most populous. What is it about Virginia? Well, Virginia actually is the place where the Cross of the Covenant was first planted in these shores in 1607. It also is the place where, in 1619, slavery was introduced to America, Also, it's just 40 miles away from the place where, in 1619, the first representative government in America was held at the House of Burgesses in Jamestown. It's an amazing place. It's also the place where all of the statutes memorizing, uh, commemorating the Civil War and all of those things that tore America apart and that also brought the Union together were taken down this last week or this last uh, year. So, how are we to look at the results of an election? Is it hope or horror? It depends on your viewpoint, doesn't it? Some are using the worst expletives out there in the news media to try to try to describe what happened yesterday, which was a complete turnaround of existing politics in the Commonwealth of Virginia. It appears that the new governor is Glenn Youngkin, not Terry uh, McAuliffe, a Republican, not a Democrat, one who believes in limited government as opposed to one who believes that government is to be the provider for the people. One believes government is fundamentally to be the protector of the people. The other believes that government is primarily to be the provider of the people. Interestingly, a black woman was elected for the first time in 400 years as lieutenant governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. A new attorney general was also elected who also believes that the purpose of the attorney general and the law is to support the law in favor of law-abiding people rather than to facilitate lawlessness in the name of wokeness. All of that happened yesterday. But that's not all that happened yesterday. In Minnesota, they totally rejected an effort to try to disband the police department in favor of a Department of Public Safety, which is a term taken from the French Revolution. What's going on? How are we to understand this? Has America had a great turnaround? Can we now breathe easy? Or is there something else that we should gather 
from this election. That's what we want to talk about here today on Viewpoint, and I'm so glad that you joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. You say, how could this be a matter of conviction? What does it have to do with me? These people were elected. The decisions have been made. So now let's move on. Let's breathe easy or panic, whichever your viewpoint might be. And let's just get on and uh, get on with the rest of our lives. Well, it doesn't work quite that way. Because what this was yesterday was, yes, a significant turnabout or reversal of what appeared to be a pattern of political distortion and perversion, at least in terms of the actual biblical purposes of government, that had taken over for the past four to eight or ten years. So, was this an actual complete turnaround setting the course and the stage for America to become the land of the free, the home of the brave, where everybody breathes easily and everything is wonderful, everything is cool from a conservative or Republican viewpoint, and let us get on with our lives. May I suggest to you that that is not the case. We can rejoice, those of us that uh, believe in the purpose of government as to be our protector rather than our provider, those of us that believe that government should be the servant of the people in the name of God rather than abusing the name of God in order to accomplish more power over the people. On the other hand, it appears to me that what we really have here is a merciful reprieve. A merciful reprieve. Now, we had one of those, but it didn't appear very merciful. Things changed. Things turned around for about four years. But there was war in the camp everywhere. Will there be war in the camp again? Probably because many do not perceive this as a merciful reprieve, but rather the, as a repudiation of that which they had accomplished to carry out the foundation for a new global and world order. Now that again has been struck a mortal blow, at least in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But if it's a merciful reprieve, a reprieve from what, and a reprieve to what? It's a merciful reprieve, but. But. And that's what we want to talk about on the balance of the program here today on Viewpoint. Before we do, uh, let's just uh, engage in a little bit of uh, entertainment here by listening to a few quotes concerning the matter of politics. Here's one. With politicians, artful evasion is always preferable to the outright lie. Oh, we've certainly seen a lot of that, haven't we? Thomas Jefferson said, Whenever a man has cast a longing eye on offices, a rottenness begins in his conduct. 
Another wrote, a gaffe occurs not when a politician lies, but when he actually tells the truth. (laughs) Many of us can say amen to that. A good politician, says H.L. Mencken, under democracy, is quite as unthinkable as an honest burglar. Raymond Motley wrote, Ultimately, the considerations of a politician are not based upon truth or fact. They're based upon what the public will conceive to be truth or fact. Or another writes, An honest politician will not be tolerated by a democracy. Unless the guy is very stupid. We'll be right back, friends. That's our entertainment for the day, and now we get back to business. This is Viewpoint. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Politics is that activity of humankind that is designed to get along in governing people. That's what its purpose is. How to get along in governing people. Politics. It comes from a root word, polity. Do you know what other word comes from the word polity? Polite. Now, isn't that interesting? The word polite comes from the same word that the word politics comes from. Polity, which has to do with people getting along. The people. Can you imagine what would happen if politics were truly polite? But then here's another question. Why aren't politics polite? Well, the answer is very simple. Politics are not polite because the people are not polite. Therefore, the less polite the people can be or are, the more virile, violent, vitriolic the politics are. And so when Rodney King, years ago, in the Watts riot, asked the question, can't we all get along? The real answer to it is no. We can't all get along unless we're willing to respect one another as made in the image of God and act politely in true polity. Then our politics would change. But our politics are getting more and more vicious, aren't they? More and more vitriolic, name-calling, all kinds of labels being attacked. It seems that the ultimate attack today is to be called a racist. So racism has now replaced God's call for legitimate politics. God's call for legitimate politics is righteousness. For righteousness alone exalts a nation or a people or a state or a commonwealth or a city. Righteousness alone exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So we know then why our politics are becoming so vicious. Why our polity is not polite. 
It's because the people are not polite. The question then is, why aren't the people polite? The people are not polite because they are perverting God's purpose for their being. What is their purpose, the God's purpose for their being? That they would honor one another and pursue righteousness from God's viewpoint. And when they don't pursue righteousness from God's viewpoint, they are necessarily pursuing unrighteousness from somebody else's viewpoint. And you know who that somebody else is, or the spirit of God's archenemy. Now you can understand why we are at such loggerheads, why there has been such turmoil, and, I might indicate, will continue to be more turmoil. Some people will call it the culture wars. Well, indeed, they are culture wars that have been taking place for a good 50 years now. But the reality is the culture wars are Christ wars. They are wars against Christ. They come about because a large number of the people and their leaders have decided to elevate their own viewpoints over the viewpoint of Christ. There's the constant argument or discussion among philosophers as to whether it's culture over Christ, Christ over over culture, or culture and Christ. Well, the reality is that it's supposed, from God's viewpoint, it should be Christ over culture. But what's actually happened is culture over Christ even in large measure in our churches. So it really should not be a mystery as to why our polity is not polite. But then again, about the purpose of politics. Remember, politics are to help us to get along in governing people, legitimately and righteously. Burger King gave us the philosophy of government. Give the people what they want. Now, that's not God's philosophy of government, but that's Burger King's philosophy of government. And, in fact, it is Satan's philosophy of government. Because God's viewpoint of government is to give the people what they need, not what they want. Well, that presents another problem, doesn't it? The whole idea of democracy. Everybody is saying, well, we've got to protect our democracy. In fact, one of the key competitors in the Virginia election for governor, Terry McAuliffe, kept repeating, we've got to protect our democracy. We've got to protect our democracy. What did he really mean by that? What he really meant was, the lordship of government over the people. So we can seduce the people to vote for us so that we can stay perpetually in office because we offered them what they wanted. And this is our problem. This is our continuing problem in America, and it was the problem from the very beginning. 
So think back with me, if you will, to the mid to late 1700s, the Revolutionary War, the Declaration of of, uh, Independence, and then the struggle over establishing a government and the United States Constitution and the Bill of Rights. What was the big issue? Well, the most fundamental or fulcrum issue is what sort of government should we have? That was the question. What kind or sort of government should we have that would best accomplish the very purposes for which we severed our relationship from the mother country? They went through a variety. These people were absolutely brilliant. They knew history They knew the history of Rome. They knew the history of Greece. They knew the history of Europe. They knew the history of the Middle East. They knew all of that history and were versed in it, unlike so many today. Oh, they knew those things. Many of the founders even knew Greek and Hebrew and Latin. They were extremely versed. And they concluded that while democracy in theory looked and sounded good, it was ultimately the most dangerous of all forms of government. That's what they concluded. So when Terry McAuliffe, running for the leg- the uh, governorship of Virginia, kept calling out our democracy, we've got to protect our democracy, he was actually deceiving the people. And any politician that keeps talking about our democracy, our democracy, is actually deceiving the people, or he is utterly and totally ignorant. Because we don't have a democracy. We have a republic. As Benjamin Franklin said to a woman who accosted him after the Constitutional Convention, who asked him, uh, Mr. Franklin, what kind of government do we have? And he said, a republic, ma'am, if... You can keep it. Now, a republic is designed to protect us against the evils and uh, vagaries of democracy, where the people can rule tyrannically over others. So we had a representative government, a government that was full of checks and balances and where various representatives were elected uh, to a Congress Uh, to a Senate, each with differing uh, lengths of terms, and a Supreme Court, and uh, an executive branch, and all other kinds of balances to protect against unrighteousness in people. So our founders did not believe that mankind was fundamentally good. They believed that mankind was fundamentally sinful. And that's why we needed a savior. And so they gave us a government that was based upon the fundamental uh, concept of the Bible that humankind cannot be trusted and is fundamentally evil unless reborn in Jesus Christ. And even then could not be absolutely trusted. Now that gives us a background on which to understand whether or not what we're experiencing here, what we have experienced uh, in the unfolding of this political drama yesterday, is going to 
provide hope or horror on the horizon. We could call it the power and perversion of politics. The power and perversion of politics. Politics can either serve us or enslave us. And what we've been finding over the past uh, year of the current presidential administration is that the politics have been continually enslaving America and bringing the people to their knees, not before God, but before government as a pseudo-God. And then also reducing the nation and its sovereignty to strip away its sovereignty to equip us and prepare us for a new world government, which would replace God over the world. Now, that's the problem that we're facing. That's the context in which this election took place and why all eyes across the country were on Virginia, whether Republican or Democrat or Independent, and why people all over the world were looking at this election. It wasn't like many other elections. So here's the question again. Was this a merciful reprieve or a complete reversal so that we can all breathe easy and uh, beat our plowshare, beat our swords into plowshares and live happily ever after? I am convinced that this was a merciful reprieve. A merciful reprieve to give hope on the horizon if. That's the big if. You see, the biggest little word in the Bible is the word if. Over and over and over again, God premises his promises on if. We quote Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people. Notice it's my people. He doesn't say if the liberals, if the abortionists, if Slick Willie in the White House, or if Barack Obama or Joseph Biden or anyone else. He doesn't say if those people. He says if my people, the ones who call themselves by my name, would do several things. First, humble themselves. Now, what does that mean to humble yourself? It means to bring yourself into agreement with God's word, will, and ways. That's what it means. It doesn't mean to have a nice feeling of pseudo-humility. It doesn't mean to try to begin writing your manuscript on humility and how I attained it. (laughs) No, it means to bring yourself into 100% alignment in mind and heart with what God has said in his word. Now, that's a tough thing. That's a tough call, particularly for Christians today, because we we don't want to do that. We have elevated ourselves in equality with God by dissing or disagreeing with what he has said in whole or in part. We don't like it. So in reality, we actually have been in a culture war with God himself. It isn't just a culture war with the unbelievers against believers. It's a culture war of believers against God himself. 
because we have dissed what he has said concerning our lives, concerning our families, concerning our marriages, concerning a vast array of things in our lives. Right? You know that's true in your heart. But to bring us into alignment, to truly agree with what God has said, notwithstanding what we want to believe, notwithstanding what our feelings tell us, that is a tough call. So where do we go from there? If we're going to get the leaders we deserve and we want righteous leaders, how are we going to get there from here? Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Was the election merciful? Was it a merciful reprieve or something else? And if it was a merciful reprieve, that implies that something else must follow if the reprieve was to have value. Because a reprieve is merely a cessation of something that usually is negative, very negative. And that something must happen if the mercy is to continue. Did you know that the Bible says that God extends mercy only to those who obey him? Did you know that? So if the word obey has become a virtual four-letter word among professing Christians today, perhaps we can well understand why the mercy that perhaps was extended to America as a result of the election in Virginia and some other places in the country yesterday was truly just merciful because we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it because we hadn't been obeying God. On the other hand, there was a cry. There was a cry that went up among we the people particularly in the Commonwealth of Virginia and then in other places, by the way, that were looking for hope to what would happen in Virginia. There was a cry going up because of the consequences that we were all experiencing as a result of our dissing God's word over the past 30, 40 years or more. In other words, we were dissing 
disagreeing with God's word, will, and ways in one way or another, and so righteousness was not reigning in the country. Righteousness could not reign in the country because God's people were not living in righteousness. And, as the scripture says, righteousness alone exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. And a righteous people will choose righteous politicians, won't they? So how is it that we have not chosen righteous politicians? How is it that in our national election and in other elections, even in the Commonwealth of Virginia, how is it we elected a man, a doctor, who would boldly and on television admit that he would be in favor of infanticide? Laying a child who escaped abortion, an intended abortion, and laying it out on the table and waiting for the doctor and the parents to decide whether to kill the child or allow it to die. That was the governor that was elected by the people of the Commonwealth of Virginia four years ago. How did that happen? It happened because the majority of the people in the Commonwealth of Virginia were not righteous, including thousands and thousands of professing Christians. They were more interested in party names than they were in truth and righteousness. So the reality is, as Christians, we don't vote for a party. We vote for a person who represents biblical righteousness. Are you listening? So the purpose, what is the purpose of government? The purpose of government, from God's perspective, is to protect the people against enemies, foreign and domestic. To protect the people against enemies, foreign and domestic. To promote or reward good and punish evil. But what's happened is, that's been turned on his head. To punish good and reward evil. When that happens, you know that the only hope for the future is a merciful intervention by the God who made and preserved us a nation. A merciful reprieve. And that's what we got. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican is not the issue. Are you a true and sincere follower of Jesus Christ and his lordship in your life? Do you agree with his viewpoint on all of the issues of life, including including your sexual life, your sexual behavior, your marriage? Whether you're a man or a woman, and are living up to that which God ordained and created you to be, if you diss any of those 
you have automatically dissed God's authority, and you have elevated yourself like Satan himself to be equal with or greater than God. Now, can you see how that kind of attitude then would create an impenetrable situation where God cannot continue to bless, but actually can allow the curse to come upon us? And that's what was happening. Therefore, there is a brief reprieve, a merciful reprieve that has been granted. What happened in the Commonwealth of Virginia yesterday provides a vision, a window of hope for the rest of the country if. If we will heed what we're talking about right here on Viewpoint today. Not heed what the politicians say. A righteous people will choose righteous politicians and righteous pastors and righteous priests because righteousness alone exalts a nation. Now, Proverbs 29.2 tells us that when the righteous are in authority, the people will rejoice. What people will rejoice? Righteous people. When the righteous are in authority, unrighteous people will not rejoice. They will act wickedly. They will act uh, hatefully. And this is exactly what we're hearing on national television. We're hearing genuine hate talk. Not the make-believe hate talk. Genuine hate talk. Because they are unrighteous people who have absolutely not one shred of interest in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So Jesus made it very plain. He said, look, if you want everything to go well, then seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Notice how people react to this. And pastors, instead of quoting the whole verse, they'll just say, seek first the kingdom of God. Why don't they quote the rest of it? Because they don't like it. Why don't they like it? Because righteousness requires obedience. And they don't like obedience because it's become the most hated word in the church today. It's not only hated in the nation, it's hated in the church. From pulpit to pew. We want the sinner to live righteously while the, the so-called Christian lives according to his own will unrighteously. And then we wring our hands in despair because the unrighteous are acting unrighteously. That's exactly what you what you get. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not seek first Republican power, not seek first Democratic power. That's not what we're called to do, friends. We're called to seek first the kingdom of God. 
We should be selecting people who as close as we can find represent as broad an understanding of the kingdom of God from as revealed in Christ and as proclaimed in the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, not just your favorite verse. So it's not just about the poor. It's You know why it's not just about the poor? Because the one who was most concerned about the poor in the Bible was Judas. Remember that? And he was a thief. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Does that mean that Jesus was not interested in the poor? No. But he didn't make the poor the ultimate object of the kingdom of God. Yes, he brought his message to the poor because the others wouldn't listen to him. They were too proud, too pompous. But the poor would listen, at least some of them. Now, I'm going to make a very powerful statement, a very direct statement here. It may come as a shock at first, but never trust a politician. Never trust a politician or the people who elected him or a pastor or a priest or a pope. Never trust Man, absolutely. Because man is untrustworthy. And our founders knew that. That's why they gave us a republic, not a democracy. Please, we have a democratic form of government, but it's not a democracy. It is not the ultimate and final rule of the majority. Our founders knew that that would become the ultimate tyranny if the people were not under God. How, then, do we bring the people under God so that we can have peace on earth? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Something dramatic happened yesterday in the Commonwealth of Virginia. As a sign to the country, it was a merciful reprieve. But 
How long will that reprieve last? And for what purpose would God give the country that reprieve? What is the sign that God is giving to America? I'm about to tell you very succinctly what it is. If we do not restore our country at every level back to a God-fearing country, that reprieve will be cut short, and we will experience a horror the likes of which none of us want to see happen. Oh, we thought it was bad already, and it was. And it was heading off the cliff, a dramatic cliff. And the world is still going that direction, friends, even while this reprieve is being installed in the last best hope of Earth called the United Nation, the, the United States of America. But if we fail to heed God's merciful reprieve and the warning that what will happen is going to result in a cascade of horror that I would prefer not to even talk about. You say, well, why can't you just allow us to rejoice in uh, uh, this victory? And the problem is, friends, that's what we're as human beings tempted to do. Just rejoice and then go back and, well, rest on our laurels and do nothing. That has been our history for the past 50, 60 years with National Days of Prayer, Solemn Assemblies, all of this stuff, religious stuff. And God says, I'm sick of your Solemn Assemblies. I'm not going to hear you anymore. I want righteousness in the land. The same message that God gave through Isaiah and through Jeremiah to the people of Israel and Judah, he is giving to America today. Stop playing these games with me. Stop pretending that you're serious about a revival. You're not serious about a revival. You want a revival on your own terms. You want to feel good. You want to get excited. You want to have... No, it's not about that. It's about repenting. It's about coming clean. It's about falling on your face before God and really seriously seeking the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near right now in this merciful reprieve. Let the wicked forsake his ways and and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let us return unto the Lord. That's what this is about. And isn't it interesting, when we look at the individuals that were elected in this political cascade, that one party in the country looks at it as a gross calamity, isn't it interesting that all three of the people, from governor to lieutenant governor, to attorney general, are all God-fearing people, unlike those that currently inhabit those offices. 
All three of them. Now, do they all agree with every aspect, theological aspect, that I personally might promote here on this program? No. But, Glenn Youngkin is a dedicated Catholic man, family man, and who seems to be extremely sincere about his faith. Winsome Sears, a black woman, is an evangelical Christian. The Attorney General, Meares, as far as I can tell, is a God-fearing man. Exactly what his... Uh, personal life is about, I cannot tell you exactly. But there's a reason why these three people have completely unnerved and upset the existing order of things in the Commonwealth of Virginia that had completely capitulated to the rule of unrighteousness from the governor all the way down to the entire state house. And now it's all been overturned. Why? It's a merciful reprieve, friend. It's not just a merciful reprieve for Virginia that God called us to come here back in 1993 as the place where it all began in 1607 with the planting of a cross and a great shout and a prayer meeting on the shores of the James where this broadcast emanates from this very day. to give America a hope and a future so that we could legitimately prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour, which is soon and very soon. This is not just about having your best life now. This is not just about having a nice, peaceful family life. It is a much, much bigger picture than that. The reason we could never trust a politician is because politicians are people. Yes, they're made in the image of God, but they are following the ways of the evil one. You can't trust the people that elected them because they also were born in sin. You can't trust the pastor or the priest because they're acting like politicians while the politicians are pretending to be pastors. Does that mean, friends, that we should have no trust whatsoever in these people and should look at them with chagrin and dismay and cynicism? No, that's not what we're talking about here. But as the Scripture said, it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in men. It's better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in princes Leaders of any type, religious or political or economic, because they all are sinners and prone to need a Savior, just like you and me. The Scripture says that God's throne is established in righteousness. The throne represents rulership, right? Rulership. God's throne or habitation is established in righteousness or right-waysness from his viewpoint, not from your viewpoint, not from your 
congregation's viewpoint, not from your pastor's viewpoint, not from the Pope's viewpoint. Not from your culture's viewpoint. Not from your denomination's viewpoint. Those viewpoints are relatively insignificant if they don't line up with God's viewpoint. That's why we say viewpoint determines destiny. Always, always, always viewpoint determines destiny, and there are no neutral viewpoints. So what is God's desire? If he's giving us a merciful reprieve, which he is, what is his desire? His desire is that we restore righteousness in the land. How do you restore righteousness in the land? It starts with you and with me. That's where righteousness of the land starts, because, as you know, the first three words of the preamble to the United States Constitution is, we the people. It's about we the people. It's not about the Congress. It's not about the presidency. It's not about the Supreme Court. It's not about Republicans. It's not about Democrats. It's about we the people. Is anybody listening today? And we the people starts with you and with me. No matter what our pedigree, no matter what our skin color, it has nothing to do with skin. It has everything to do with sin. So, when we've cried out to the Lord these past 40 years on National Days of Prayer in solemn assemblies and so on, and we quote Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves, yeah, we need to do that, and seek my face, oh, so it's not just a matter of pretending to humble ourselves, but we have to be doing something. We have to be seeking his face. Not seeking his hand, but seeking his face. And and when we look in his eyes, when we look in the Lord's eyes, in his face, we're going to see something there if we're really honest. It's like, you know, I knew I could tell when I was growing up, my father wouldn't necessarily have to say anything. I just have to see his eye. So the Bible says God would guide us with his eye. Oh, but he can't do that if we're not seeing, if we're not looking. And many of us don't want to see because we want to do our own thing. Oh, you can continue to do your own thing, and you're going to get the consequences of it, which is the desecration that is going to come upon this land. If you think it's bad so far, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because the world has a goal that is already defined for what you will be and become. A slave to a global government and ultimately the servant of a counterfeit Christ. That's what the world has in order for you and for me. And we have a choice now. A merciful reprieve. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, 
Yes, we prayed. We cried aloud. Lord, help. Lord, give us help. But we weren't interested in God's viewpoint. So he says, stop praying to me. I don't want to hear your prayers anymore because you're not interested in what I have to say. Seek my pray and seek my face. Oh, and then turn from your wicked ways. Well, what are wicked ways? Wicked ways are any ways that disagree with what God has said. So if we're uh, engaging in pornography, it's a wicked way. It's adultery. The Bible says that adulterers that are unrepentant will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you listening? So when about 70% of professing Christian men are engaged in pornography and 34% of their, 37% of their pastors as well, then we know we're not righteous. And if you persist in that, guess what you're going to get? And then you want to cry out to the rest of the nation to repent? Give me a break. It's total hypocrisy. And God knows that. You call us whited sepulchers, just like Jesus did to the religious leaders of his day in Matthew 23. <clears throat> women, you're not excused either. 34% of professing Christian women search out different kinds of pornography, pornographic literature. And how about divorce? And then remarriage when our spouses are still living, God calls it adultery. Do you, are you beginning to see the problem? And that's just for starters. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's our hope. If we want to see God's throne established in righteousness, in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. Thanks for joining us. I hope this has been helpful today. Tell your friends, Romans and country about it. Spread the news. Get the message out because we have a very short reprieve. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.